Hey everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, your other host. On this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, until the end of time. That's right, Colin, and we are dead set in the middle of a time heist. That we are. We're in like the the dot of the eye of the time heist. Mm. Um, but which dot? That's for you to find out. Um, and we are in Endgame, and I just want to get right into it because I. Okay. We're recording this on on February nineteenth, twenty twenty three, and I'm very excited to talk about this episode because it's pertinent for a movie that just came out. Uh, you know, which this I haven't past seen weekend. yet. I have to get past right. my my birthday stuff and and Mardi Gras to right. be able to go see. All I want to talk about is when the Hulk. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> when they do the reverse of what everyone said, Ant Man should do to Thanos. When instead Hulk comes out of Ant Man's ass, right. that blew everyone away. Yeah, especially Ant Man. Um, <laughs> so, oh, that's funny. Hulk is the strongest one there is. By that's which why he was able right. to survive. Uh, exactly. <clears throat> Um, all right, so we are in end, we are in Avengers Endgame. We're starting at one hour, 42 minutes, and five seconds, and we are going almost one minute later to one hour, 43 minutes, and three seconds. Here's what happens. I'm pretty proud of this. After distracting Dr. Henry Pym with a faint call, mm, with a fake call from the mailroom, Steve infiltrates Pym's office and steals four vials of Pym particles. Bada bing, bada boom, one sentence, and we're done. Wow. I mean, that I love, James, like, you're really good at this, right? Because, like, my thing is, is you're going to see this in the next episode. <laughs> I literally had a moment where I was like, okay, I got used to trying to abbreviate things as much as possible from Agent Carter. Right. The thing was that in Agent Carter, we were covering... 30 minutes at a time right so i was like i've really got to condense but then when i was like i've only got a minute of stuff that i'm condensing i could take the time to talk about like the intricacies of the scene right and like you know and again i'm sure we'll get into it when we talk about our thoughts on the scene but like i yeah. think it's so funny that you didn't include a single line of dialogue <laughs> considering i put in every bit of it in the next scene if i if i may mm -hmm. i i would contend that the dialogue from your scene in the next scene is it does have more way impact. more interesting yeah. and more important. Like if Steve had been like, Dr. Henry Pym, distraction calling. And, and Pym's like, well, got to run. Like, but that is effectively what he did. He, I, know, I mean, so okay. he's like, there's a radiation and everyone's feeling sick. Well, I think, Anyways. okay. So let's, let's, let's talk about what he says in, in the yeah. call, right? Because I think it is, it to me, Steve is like that thing of. I think we think of him as mostly a tactician, right? Yes. Um, as far as like smarts goes, right? Right. Um, and that comes a lot more as in terms of like battle prowess, right? You know, quick thinking in the field in that regard, yeah. right? Like how to fight someone. I don't think that Steve is often a person who needs to do a charisma role, essentially. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? To get out of a scenario. In fact, we kind of talked about that recently with him on the elevator, right? Yes. He. This is a first time where Steve is really having to, like, I think there's a difference between using charisma roles in terms of, like, inspiring others around him 
versus like lying, doing a performance check, right? Right. Uh, And I know know I'm doing a lot of D&D talk. Yeah, persuasion, right? So it's like he's doing a lot of these types of, uh, again, if if we're looking at it as like a board game, right? The way he's rolling right now is not something that is his strong suit. Um, But what I do think is interesting is that like, you know, he has spent enough time around both Starks and Banner and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. To kind of have a pretty good understanding of like, what are the kind of things that could make a scientist freak out? <laughs> um, but like, I think it's also fascinating too, because like in the beginning, right, the whole thing was they made the serum uh, to make Captain Rogers and it was a, a blue serum, right? Uh, uh-huh. But then they also used Vita rays, which, you know, and, and included some gamma radiation type situation, right? And then Hulk was then created using gamma radiation because they were trying to recreate that same process. So I think it's interesting and smart that Steve looks at this and is like, okay, green is not something really that any scientist wants to hear. Like, you know, if you're like, hey, there's something that's green, they're like, stop, shut everything down, right? Right. Because I think somehow- Botanists may be be the exception, but they may be the exception that proves the rule. I just think that like green in in terms of like a laboratory setting, and I don't know if it's only in so in in not social media, I'm sorry, in popular media, or if it's in real life too. Green has just become the like the color of radiation. I'll tell you, I'll tell you something, Colin. Something really boring. Ready for something really boring? Cure up Things that really like boring that. theme music. Okay, uh, this new segment, really boring science things. Uh, most things in science don't have color, especially the dangerous things, and that's why they're so dangerous. I think it's really, really cool to make green like the color of like chlorine or radiation or whatever. Chlorine is green? Uh, in my mind, it is. It's not, actually. It's colorless. Oh, you know, okay, I can tell you why why it is that way in your mind, actually. I just, I merely made the connection. You know when you're teaching children not to eat or put, like, household cleaner substances in their mouths? You're about to bring up Mr. Yuck? Yeah, they put on the, the green, like, and they're, like, neon green yeah. uh, stickers of Mr. Yuck, and they put those on things to teach kids, no, 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 you don't I eat think this. that uh, I'm wondering there's also that's cl- what that is. There's also chlorophyll. Which mm-hmm. does contain chlorine, which is what makes plants green. Right. Um, so, but unfortunately, in science, uh, nothing, everything's colorless and you just randomly get cancer. Radiation. Also, it's radiation is all around us and uh, True. it's not something we should be feared. Um, but it is something that. Uh, hey, is, listen, since we're dangerous. talking about boring science and stuff like that, yeah. I just want to get this, this one uh, out there as well. Just so everyone is aware, 5G doesn't, you know, no, never mind. I shouldn't get into this because that's going <laughs> to cause some problems. 5,000 what? 5G uh, just doesn't do the shit that people will try to claim it does. Um, so. Yes. Uh, I think that it's really funny. I also like uh, if we had, if this, if Endgame, look, Endgame has a lot of fan service uh, in it. If Endgame had decided to take the form of Slumdog Millionaire, where it's like we see Steve do something and then we see a flashback to him learning the thing that he's doing. Mm. And we cut back to uh, 
like Tony and Steve and like uh I don't know Natasha pranking Banner by being like, oh yeah, hey, you got a green glowing substance. And Banner be like, oh no, run, 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 run. He's like, oh, I can use that. And like he right. uses it in the serious setting. I think that'd be really fun. Because he's, he's like, I mean, especially Banner. If, if anyone's going to panic about it, right, it's going to be yeah. Banner. Yeah. He's going to be like, oh my God, you know, we, like, that's what made me. Not again. <laughs> oh, that's, you know what, though? That is what you would hear. You would just hear, like, you would see the door fly. What would happen is they would cut to, the hallway and the door yeah. would fly open and banner would come flying out and like would be stumble running basically uh-huh. like never standing fully upright because <laughs> yeah. he's going so fast that he can't keep his balance and yeah. like he's physically like shoves hawkeye out of the way like you know clint's like oh hey, yes, yes. And, like checks him and he's like out of the way he's like he's like <laughs> not again which is funny though because that is kind of what happens in this scene he doesn't exactly <laughs> body check a man but right. when pym runs out the door he does like someone does immediately like jump out of the way right because and i think he actually says out of the way right and he's like yeah he's i mean he's hoofing it i mean he is moving also i just clipped my mic sorry but he is in the shield headquarters science is an exciting thing that you will call you know you need to run Science, you get to watch out for for running scientists all the time though it's like i haven't discovered him yet. get out of my way Sort of stuff that, like that's that. a good point. But I also like that, like, you know, this also is a cool th- feature of, like, showing, to me at least, the way that, like, okay, S.H.I.E.L.D., to me, right, really is just a remodel of the SSR. Sure. Because, to me, the SSR was, it was supposed to be more science, less fighting, I think. Yeah. Right? Within the wartime. But because of something like the creation of Captain America or right. this, the scenes that they managed to get themselves into with, you know, uh, uh, Agent Carter and stuff like that. I think we showed that there was a need for a balance of a system and a team that could handle science both in the field and in, in a lab, but that could also go and be out in the field without right. needing, like, you know, another division to protect them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. like, you know, you wouldn't have to make everything a joint operation with the FBI. Because, like, with the SSR, when they were in the war, they had, like, the 107th. Right. You know, most of your people were, were soldiers, you know. Right. But now you're not at war, so you need those people, right? So, like, right. they sort of rebranded, remodeled, and then relaunched, right? Um, right. But just with a new sticker on them. And I feel like this is a good right. example of that, right? Like, you have military people still on the base, but then you have, like, scientists who are... I think clearly seen as being equals in this regard. Right. Like there is a soldier walking down the hallway and he's not like, Oh, what a weirdo science guy. I'm going to keep like, you know, if he bumps into Knock me, his it's book on him. out of his hand. Yeah. yeah. No, like he sees a scientist coming and like running and he's like, must be serious moves yeah. out of the way. So right. I don't know. I just think it's a cool, fascinating little feature. Sam really would be happy. I think is what I'm getting. Yeah. At. I agree. Um, I think that, Something I just thought of, you know how like uh, green, like almost like a sickly green is the color of like evil in mm-hmm. Disney. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting that like radiation also kind of has that sickly green connotation to it. So there's sort of like a, I don't know, there's 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 something symbolic there about us sort of 
picturing radiation as also having this sort of green glow to it. I think it's like toxic is really what it is, right? And so I think that like, especially for kids, because I don't think, I think it's hard to represent that radioactivity. Yeah. You know what that is. But I think if you're like, we already get that this green is toxic. I think if we basically consider radiation a form of toxicity, yeah, essentially, right? Like it it gets the, because I just think that like for sure, also, I think it pops, right? Like, I think that if sure. you if you had something and you turned to me and were like, this thing here has a giant, like, red glow, I don't feel like the red would pop up against something as, you know, as neatly. And blue yeah. feels a little bit too calming, right? Yeah. So it's like that, that bright, just neon, awful-looking green is just like, like it seems... sort of deal. Yeah. yeah. It's like that is the, what a potion... That would, you yeah. know, like acid would look like, you know, and yeah. radiation can also like burn. I'm putting that in quotes because it does, but I mean, like it, it doesn't can. burn in the same yeah. way is what yeah. I mean, you know, but it's like, There's a, yeah, you know, but like in a cartoon, like, red is hot and blue is either cold or like water. Right. So Correct. if you have like a green and like the yellow is the sun, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting that all these elements are like coded like this. Uh, the other, the other thing that I had that I thought that I think, of, well, two things I think of uh, one it makes me think a little bit, given who we know Hank Pym to be over the course of, of, of his life. Um, the idea that he's running in part because of the call about, oh, these people aren't feeling too well. And in part because he's ordered something that he shouldn't have. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. he's like, oh, God, my stuff. Uh, hang on. Don't open it. Like, well, see, okay, so that's that's an interesting point, right? Because in my head, I hadn't thought of that as something that he shouldn't have. It's right. more of like a okay. So you know, part of the, the issue of like these giant scientists that we see in these films, right? Yeah, being like they see themselves as so self-important, right? Uh-huh. And like they are above doing these other tasks, right? Like you're the shipping department, you deal with it, right? But like he orders something knowing that he's ordering something dangerous. He really should be there at the time that they believe it's supposed to arrive so that he can oversee the movement and some of that to make sure that nobody gets hurt or that the quality of the thing is assured, right? Like, but instead he's just like, I'm too good for that. Like, just bring it down to my lab when it's ready, you know? All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to stop just one second. I will say there is a there is a department chain of command thing. Like, I think that if it's something that's dangerous, and he was expecting it, he'd be there to oversee it, or they'd know not to open it. He's received this call about something that hasn't happened. I don't think it's self important to allow the shipping department to receive, or the you know the shipping that, receiving I mean, that's, to that's receive. Fair. I mean. Mm. Okay, so here's 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 where I'm I'm thinking, right? I'm thinking that it is something that he was expecting, just maybe not that early, okay. right? Yeah, I agree. Because so, like, because I feel like if if they called him and were like, "Hey, there's this thing and it's green," but he'd be like, "What the hell is it?" Because like I didn't order that, right? Right? Like, okay, right. whatever, right? Like, but like, you know, I think it's the fact that they were like, um, oh, or you know, another interesting thing is that to him, okay. This this will be in his benefit here, right? Like as yep. in giving him the benefit of the doubt. It, all, it also could be like you know, imagine he has his own things that he's running, that his own you know experiments, or whatever. 
But someone from another division, like another operation base, is like, we just cannot crack this one. Send it to Hank Pym. He's yeah. got better tools or he's got a better mind. Like, let's get it to right. him. Let, let's forward it, right? So, like, right. for him, right, If I'm sure that sort of thing does happen from time to time. So he's like, okay, yeah, if we got something that, you know, that he wasn't expecting, but he received something in the mail or, or delivery right. from another location, he's like, all right, fine, yeah, just bring it down to the lab and we'll get to it when we can, right? But, like, yeah. the fact that they're like, well, we opened it, right, that could also point out that, like, maybe it wasn't properly labeled or, like, because it wasn't something that he was expecting, they were like, oh, right. what the hell is this? Like, let's unpackage it right. and bring it down. Um, but, like, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a – this is also, I think, the process of when you take the moment to say, let's look at a scene, scene by scene, and break yeah. something down. This is yeah. meant to be exactly what you said. Hi, distraction calling. And it's right. meant to just be like, send the man into a panic and have him run out of the room. Don't look too deeply at it. And now we're looking right. too deeply. I don't, if I don't agree that too deeply exists. So the other theory <laughs> I have is, uh, I, ser- I, I honestly don't. And uh, anyone who's listened to my podcast knows that that's true. Uh, I wonder if he could also be like a radiation safety officer. He could be like, mm, that's a good point. He, we've received a package and he's deep in his sciencing. Right. He's sciencing like so hard. That's true. I mean, he's like, and, like not he's even like, just leave it there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they're like, it's glowing green. He's like, crap. I just, I have to put on my different hat. And by which I don't mean the silver one. Um, right. uh, he to puts go on run a down. little vest, like the little yellow yeah. vest. Yeah, safety safety guard vest kind of thing. Exactly. Um, and then the final thing is, I think it's so fun when the distraction or the prank has to be uh, feigning incompetence, and it makes me think of this Simpsons episode where uh, they need to get Bart and his friends home from this place where there's a a lab or a, a power plant right next to it. So Homer has to figure out a way for them to get a shipping container large enough that the boys can sneak on without like getting in trouble whatever so he's like oh they they have these uh con- these safety consoles so he calls them up he's like oh yeah i'm i'm looking for a new and he reads the number like uh springfield we show that your your thing is working just fine so he's like oh, okay. he pours his soda all over the safety console That's so and they're funny. like oh god oh god you're operating without a safety console what are you doing and, like they ship it to him right yeah. away but like while they're freaking out he's calmly just sort of flicking stray drops of cola onto the th- just sort of like Right. Yeah, just being as dumb as possible in order to be as smart as possible. So right. that's sort of Steve is the Homer Simpson of this scene, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. And I think we all can agree with that. Speaking of safety, you, oh, yeah. you saying safety has made me think of something. And that is to say that, like, I want to hopefully, uh, I'm going to try and remember to make a mark, a mark of this uh, in my own notes, but let's all make a mark mentally. To remember the helmet that he has on his desk in this scene. Yes. Um, because I think I think that this exact helmet is going to become very relevant to the future. We're going to we're I, I, I hopefully my presentation on the helmet is going to be so memorable that no one can help but remember this right. helmet. Well, I mean, okay, it, it's it's not so much of like remember what it looks like necessarily. I mean, yeah. like, yes, but I mean like I want us to remember what is different about this helmet versus the one that we'll be seeing in right. uh, honestly even just a few years really you know um right. yep. like i think it makes a major difference and it, the thing is that it's not going to come up contextually for him for many years 
Right. But like, I want us to try and remember this as much as we can, because like, I think that there is a large connection point. And like, I understand that the purpose of that moment is to be an Easter egg to like the original comic version of, right. you know, of, of this hero. Um, right. But to me, I also think it's an opportunity to really, to, to kind of have an explanation for something else that happens later. Um, I have uh, I have made a note in uh, for when we're going to get to it in 1987. Um, okay, to cool. talk about Hank's helmet. Um, ooh, it might not be 87 when he mentions it. Is the problem? When I he think mentions it's not going to. No, uh, when he talks to Scott about it. Oh, so I thought it, you were talking the next time we see him with the tens. Oh, okay. I thought you were yeah, talking yeah. next time we see him because he has a different helmet next time we see he, him. Okay. He, he does. That that point okay. is true, but like it's going to come up later in conversation. Uh, hey, so I want you to pick your poison. The gl- glowing green one or... <laughs> uh, no, I have an Avengers Ensemble or an In the Comics. Which would you like, uh, which would you like first? I think let's do Avengers Ensemble first because okay. I think... I don't think we've ever done in the comics before Avengers mm. Ensemble um, in the history of the show. So it's kind of like, you know, what? let's just let's keep it yeah. true to form. Keep, keep it real for sure. For sure. Yeah. OK. Avengers Ensemble. OK. Uh, I got two people here. We'll start with the one that you're not expecting. Um, again, sort of like we had with uh, Stan Lee, we have someone credited as Young Hank Pym. And I have to imagine this is the person whose body upon which they projected I Michael Douglas's so, yeah. face. Uh, his name was Jason Michael Morris, and he was in nothing else really nerdy. He's been in some TV stuff, just sort of run-of-the-mill sort of stuff. Uh, but... If you watch, if you're watching something, and there's someone that looks like uh, has the body of a young Michael Douglas, make sure it's not a young Michael Douglas, and then maybe it's Jason Michael Morris. Uh, secondly, uh, we have Michael Douglas, uh, who plays Hank Pym. Uh, he is in five properties as Hank Pym. Colin, hit it. Uh, he is in uh, Ant Man. One, two, and three. Yep. Um, and then also in uh, Endgame. Yep. And in... Hang on. It's not Infinity War. It's not. Because they don't show him there. I know that he's they. There's a prequel, like not prequel, but like there's a flashback like scene with him. Yeah, in of, it. of sorts, of of a sort. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a flashback. That's not a flash forward, right? What's a flash side look like? What if, of course, <laughs> duh. Okay, never mind. Yeah, because see, the thing is, in my head, I knew it was in the past. Yeah, but like yeah. It, it is. It was okay because it, it was the what if during like Avengers one era time. Or, the, yeah, yeah, what if all the Avengers fucking died? I think was the name of the episode. <laughs> Famous, like famously, the first Marvel property to drop the f bomb. AC Bradley um, is. I don't give a fuck. Um, actually, like, I do. I put stop. it in the title. Yeah, fucking title. Um, all right. Other things he's been in. Uh, he was on one episode of Phineas and Ferb. Uh, he was in a movie called Black Rain, which I mentioned only because 
it was the inspiration for Clint's Ronin scene in this movie. Uh, where Clint is in the rain, he's like killing samurais and stuff. That uh-huh. was inspired by Michael Douglas' Black Rain. Um, he was in Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile, which I've never seen, which I've heard good things about. Sort of if you're looking for an Indiana Jones, but what if Michael Douglas and kind of maybe a little quirkier and more uh, romancier sort of stuff. Uh, and then the yeah. China Syndrome, which I believe is sort of a pandemic sort of stuff, unfortunately named because it was the 70s. And uh, yeah, so now it's time for a quick TM, TM, TM. Uh, we got a couple of trademarks of Michael Douglas here because of course we do. People, sure. Michael Douglas is, is known worldwide. So let's find out why. He often plays very successful, wisecracking, in control business executives and political figures. I would say very successful, wisecracking. Maybe maybe Hank Pym has a couple of those. Gravelly, yeah. smoke-burnished voice. Burnished, I'm not sure about, but... Uh, that's an yeah. interesting choice. Yeah, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, smoke-burnished. Um, this house comes fully burnished. All right. Uh, he often <laughs> plays fathers with one daughter and no sons. For example, Fatal Attraction, Falling Down, The American President, Traffic, King of California, and... Ant-Man. The Ant-Man movies, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he is his famous stereotypical capitalist character, Gordon Gecko, slick back hair in his movies. Oh, God, yeah. It's my mother's secret recipe. Um, and I have a bit of trivia because I couldn't not include it. Mm, because I couldn't not include it, Colin, because it's just too good. As a teenager, he was a member in the street gang the Downshifters, which specialized in stealing cars to strip for parts. Michael Douglas, Academy Award winning Michael Douglas uh, was in The Downshifters. Home of that other famous Academy Award winners like <laughs> Steven Spielberg. And also um, Elliot Gould was in, also in The Downshifters. So... That's not true. Neither of those are true. Please don't sue me. Uh, Michael Douglas, it was on IMDb, so it has to be true. So uh, now I'd like to do an in the comics for okay. Hank Pym. Sure. Uh, we're going to cover Pym particles during Pym, during Hank Pym talk. Uh, so, But I do have a separate section for them just because I'm adorable. And then we're going to talk sure. about Ant-Man's helmet. And then we'll uh, I'll throw it over to you for your thing. I don't know what you're talking about. So Perfect. here we go. Uh, Hank Pym, uh, first appearance, Strange Tales number 75, retroactively in January of 1960. Colin, I went to the Marvel Wikipedia and looked up Strange Tales number 75 to find out what the hell that mean, d- mean? meant. To find out what mm-hmm. the hell that meant. Uh, this is a situation that, that happens occasionally with these uh, early 1960s sort of anthology, whoa, I thought of this weird short story and we illustrated it sort of right. stuff. Um, nowhere in the uh, Marvel Wiki does it say this guy is Hank Pym, the way that hmm. there's a a scene with uh in Spider Man where it's like that girl is Jessica Jones even though she doesn't get a name. Later she was like I saw you when you were whatever, so they're like right. that brown haired girl is Jessica Jones. Right. Uh. So Hank Pym is one of the scientists in Strange Tales number seventy five. Hand wavy, hand wavy. Uh. Really, his first uh his first appearance is in Tales to Astonish. Number 27 in September of 
Uh, it says Hank was born and raised in East Nowhere, Nebraska. Now I didn't look up the the geography of Nebraska. I'm I lived for uh, you know half my elementary school, most of my elementary school life in Nebraska. I never heard of East Nowhere, and I think that it's very funny, both if it does exist or if it doesn't. Uh, the son of Brad Pym and Doris Pym. Brad Pym feels. Like it was a retroactively named like 1998. It also feels of. so like on the nose too. Right? Yeah. To be like, hmm, check out this Brad, you know? Brad Pym. Yeah, exactly. Um, Brad's Brad drink. Pitchuk. It's a Pym particle. Pimpsy. Pimpsy. Dude, that was very good. Thank you. That was very good. Uh, a prodigy from birth. He spent his time fire starting. <laughs> That's a prodigy joke. He spent his time creating fantastical and fun inventions, encouraged by his grandmother. But on her death, he became more serious and decided to stop with his wild ideas. <laughs> I just need a second to. Sure. And she died, and like his smile fades, and then he keeps doing experiments, but they aren't fun anymore. <laughs> he's he for grandma. Yeah, I made a gun. He attended university where his own professors discouraged Pym's use of his own imagination and inventing things for fun by being told that he would never invent anything that would impact the world. You know, college. Um, and yeah, clearly his, his grandmother was still alive because he was trying to invent things for fun. We all know that that stopped after she, after she died. Uh -huh. Pym excelled better than any of his class, fellow classmates, earning his doctorate in biochemistry while his friends were still undergrads. Because fuck you. He married Maria Troyaya, a brave and beautiful young woman who had been a political dissident in her native Hungary, from which she had fled, naively believing that his American citizen, citizenship would protect her. Henry and Maria Pym traveled to Hungary shortly after their marriage. The Pyms were confronted by agents of the secret police there. Henry Pym was knocked unconscious, and Maria was murdered. Pym was greatly distraught by his wife's death, because... Of course. Murdered and decided to do whatever he could in the future to battle injustice and inhumanity. The death of a woman, uh, the death of a woman goes into the origin story of a hero. Back in the United States, Pym discovered a rare group of subatomic particles which have become to be known as the Pym particles. Kids, if you want to get into science, you can sometimes name things after yourself. Or people will name things after you depending on how things go with the thing that you're inventing. Pym was able, through the application of, of magnetic fields, to entrap particles within two separate serums. Science. One serum would reduce the size of persons and objects, and the other would restore them to their normal size. Pym tested the reducing serum on himself and discovered it was more powerful than he had expected. It reduced him to the size of an insect. Pym became entrapped in an anthill and was pursued by the ants within. He escaped and restored himself to his normal size with his other serum. Deciding that the serums were too dangerous to exist, Pym destroyed both of them. And that's what happens in that Tales to Astonish number 27. Uh, if only he had a way, Colin, if only he had a way to communicate with the ants. That leads us to the Ant-Man helmet that we see on the table. Correct. Uh, it's the thing that looks like a helmet. Uh, it first appeared in Tales to Astonish number 35, eight short episodes later. Episodes of books are called issues. Uh, originally built to communicate with primarily with ants, this helmet was almost constantly worn by Dr. Henry Pym when in Ant-Man's suit. That function was later built into other helmets worn by Pym, though the original helmet design and function changed over time. The newest version of the helmet contains various instruments such as size matching when Pym particles are detected and targeting sensors. 
Uh, the Marvel Wiki also has a cool section when we're talking about objects that talk about what they can do. So uh, this can communicate with insect life. The wearer of the helmet is able to communicate with most insects, mainly ants. This person, this gives the person a basic form of control over these insects. The helmet is able to generate manipulated forms of electromagnetic waves. These waves are able to be sent into the brains of insects through the part of their minds that allows large numbers of them to work as colonies or a single unit. The user does not have complete control, but is able to create influence. Using an, entire, using an entire colony of ants, the user can command them, such as forming themselves into bridges or walkways, allowing themselves to be used as mounts or attacking a target, usually in swarms, as a distraction. The helmet can also act uh, uh, for PIM particle control uh, and as a radio communicator. Uh, I also didn't write this down, but I thought it was cool that in an alternate universe, uh, Spider-Man used the... Uh, Ant-Man helmet to talk to spiders, which should mm. go directly against uh, the helmet because spiders are arachnids and not insects. Those two extra legs should get in the way of the electromagnetic signals, but they don't because that's just science, I guess. But it's also an alternate universe, so in yeah, that universe, exactly. you need the extra two legs in order exactly. to Exactly, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work on anything unless with less than eight legs. Octopuses everywhere are like, oh, God. Octopuses, the spiders <sighs> Doc of the Ock, sea. Doc surprisingly, not a problem at all. Yeah, it, it He's always like, I'm here to... Oh, hang on. Hmm. Whoa. I never put it together that Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man... Are both eight-legged? Are both eight-legged creatures. Is that established and that's why they did that? Or is it just because Dr. I don't Rams think that's why. I just think it's, I just think it's like a fun... Because here's, here's the situation is that usually Spider-Man only has four limbs. Sure. Usually. You know I mean? So I feel like it never really comes up. It probably yeah. has come up in terms of like, you know, the Iron Spider costume. Yeah. Although, weirdly, the original version of the Iron Spider costume only had seven limbs. Why the fourth one is missing is still, it's a funky little story. But Oh, you know, it had it eight was. limbs. No, I know. It, but it, okay. Okay, James. <laughs> James. Thought that. No, but like, it, it's such an interesting <laughs> little, uh, suit and everything but anyway uh so yeah but i don't think it's really ever come up unless you have uh man spider mm. i believe is the version of him where he has four extra arms coming out of his yeah. sides yeah uh, and like a so. face it's like Bleh. so so there's there's that version so that i think is technically now listed as man spider nightmare version or something like that oh is, sure i think technically i can see only, why I, well but i think it's also a version that i don't think you actually ever see happen in real life i think it's only ever when he's had like terrible nightmares and dreams oh, okay. and stuff like that gotcha. i think i could be wrong on that part but like they have a version for example in the spider verse comics where there's a version of him that runs around and so like the two main arms uh, that a human would have are sleeved right and then same you know same with like the suit but then the other two sets of arms are like bursting out of the costume like and they have door. gloves, but then they're completely bare arms, which is very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, and why they gave him bare arms instead of spider arms, I'll never know. Um, <laughs> nice. It's his right mm. to keep to his bare, bare arms. Right to bare arms, yeah. Yeah. Oof, wolf. Okay. Wolf. So listen. Uh, no, well, that's a wolf. Was that everything, by the way? Sorry, I didn't want That's all I have. Yep, that's, okay, that's cool. it for in the comics. Um, Ant-Man, So a conversation about Spider-Man. <laughs> we're we're going to say I mean we're going to see this again later, um, yeah. but hang on where is it? Um, 
So the thing is, is that that uh, helmet, it's not a one for one, obviously, in this regard, because it's like very clearly a like they just took like costumes from, I guess, like a costume store. Right. Right. They didn't like handcraft make these. But the very first ever Ant-Man that was ever on screen in real life, Garrett Morris oh, of nice. SNL. Is that why um, he's in? That's why he's in Ant-Man 1. And so he's going to come back up. But the thing is that, like, I'm going to show you what his helmet looked like. Colin? Uh, I'll hopefully remember to put it in, in like, the show notes, too. Oh, not the show notes, the, uh, the Twitter posts and stuff. I... Watched Ant Man in preparation for Ant Man three because, but I didn't watch Ant Man two because I feel like and it's were you too like, why is he the, there? I was seriously like, okay, Garrett well, Morris cameo, yeah, sure. I mean, sure, so there he is. They did a scene where it was like a bunch of superheroes for some reason, <laughs> not all Marvel and not all DC. It's a very right. odd choice uh, because like he talks to the Flash and Superman, but he also talks to the Thing and Hulk. Uh, so, you know, it's a very fascinating cameo, but he does, you know, show up in this like uh, kind of spirit Halloween version of the Ant-Man helmet that we right. saw in this scene. Right. Um, Love that. That is, yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, it's not the worst uh, like cosplay I've ever seen in my whole life. Like it looks. No, I would agree. It even has the very similar look of like his like if you look at it his suit has the actual ant body on it even um yeah which is what the original 60s you know outfit was uh see colin it was uh margot kidder who played lois lane in the superman movie was the host on march 17th 1979 mm. and she played lois lane in that epi- in that sketch right talking to superman yeah bill murray yeah exactly so cool. um okay Hey, no. great. Hey, Colin, great addition to the conversation. Thanks. Yeah, I just thought it was cool because it's like we've seen, granted, it's not quite as shiny and like perfect, but it's like it's shiny. actually not the first time we've seen that, that helmet on screen. That's true. You know? It's true. It's the yeah. second iteration. It's the Absolutely. Mark II, if you will. Absolutely. Man, iteration. Iteration. Hmm. That was better, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, that's Let's all see. that I have. That's all that I have. You want to so, take us on? Shall I heist some some more time? Yeah, heist oh, some. Heist what, some what do we keep saying? Do we do we say do we do I heist more time? Steal more time? Uh, I don't know. How have I, I, I like I saying? like shall I heist more time because it doesn't super make sense and I kind of love it. Yeah. Yeah. Shall I muddy the timelines more? Ooh yeah, get it all muddy and dirty. Okay, that's not okay. What? Anyway. Uh, that just that's just our way of saying you ever that had that's a muddy timeline before uh so thank you so much for joining us here on timeline scavengers we will see you all again very soon for a brand new episode featuring more time heist uh as always i'm colin parker i'm james anderson uh mr excelsior you have a call on line one is a green and glowing excelsior uh, in this it's, loading dock here? Is it glowing green? My God, I've got to get down there. Excelsior! <laughs>
The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.